This is an ABC podcast. The modern United States is an immigration nation. It's one of its greatest strengths. It's so important to Americans that this poem is engraved on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddle masses who yearn to breathe free. In fact, the vast majority of Americans say that immigration makes America a better place. And if you want to get a green card and become a permanent resident of the United States, there are four main ways to do it. And Donald Trump doesn't like three of them. Firstly, there's your job. If a US employer says they need you because you've got an extraordinary ability, you're in. Trump's fine with that one. It's how his wife Melania got into the country. I follow the law. I follow a law the way it's supposed to be. I never thought to stay here without papers. Second, you can get in if you're related to a US citizen. Donald Trump doesn't like this method. You know what that is? A guy comes in, stone cold killer in many cases, and then you have to bring his aunt, his uncle, his father, his grandfather, his grandparents, his third niece by a different marriage. This is how Melania brought her parents into America. Third, there's something called the Diversity Immigrant Visa Program, more popularly known as the Visa Lottery. This is a system where 55,000 people a year are allowed to enter to diversify the US immigrant population. We gotta get rid of Visa. How about that, Visa, Visa Lottery. You know what a lottery is? You pick it out of a hat. And finally, there's refugees. In the last 20 years, the US has accepted about 60,000 refugees each year on average. It's about five times as many as Australia accepts. So, four main ways to migrate to America. Oh, but there's one other option. You can just go into the country and stay there. About 10 to 12 million people, that's 3% of the US population, lives like this. Most of them have come from Mexico and Central America, fleeing poverty or violence to look for a better life for themselves and their family. And for Stephen Miller, the man controlling Trump's immigration policy, this is the biggest problem the country has. We're going to protect innocent men, women and children from violent, criminal, illegal immigrants that need to be removed from this country. At just 34 years old, Stephen Miller has risen to one of the most powerful positions in the country, survived Trump's many staff purges and become the architect of the cruelest American immigration policy in decades. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is America If You're Listening, a podcast about how Donald Trump changed the United States and the world. Two years ago, Trump and his immigration czar Stephen Miller pushed America's immigration system to the limits of what is legal and what is morally justifiable to the public. When you prosecute the parents for coming in illegally, which should happen, you have to take the children away. Today, how Trump turned a nation built on immigration into a country that takes kids away from their parents. When Stephen Miller was a boy, he read a book by the CEO of the National Rifle Association, Wayne LaPierre, that he says turned him into a conservative. When he reached high school in California in the early 2000s, he was such an outspoken conservative that his classmates made a documentary about him. I don't know much about him, but I know that 
He's pretty right-wing. He expresses his views in an insulting way, and that makes him look like he has no integrity. And that's really unfortunate because he could really be a great politician. He apparently spent his time telling Latino students to speak English and demanding that janitors pick up garbage he threw on the ground. Am I the only one who is sick and tired of being told to pick up my trash? He started calling into conservative talk show host Larry Elder's radio show. I invited him on this show and he was amazing. He just blew everybody away. He was articulate, he was funny, uh, he was passionate. He had the teenager on his show 69 times. Miller attended Duke University and while still a student, started appearing on Fox News. You have a situation here where, like a lot of college campuses, you have this segment of professors that's very powerful and very, very far to the left. Miller believed illegal immigrants were taking American jobs, committing crime and wrecking the country. He was a culture warrior to the core. After graduating from Duke University, Stephen Miller got a job working for Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions. Barack Obama was president at the time and had come up with a twofold approach to bring down illegal immigration. On the one hand, Obama introduced DACA, or the Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals policy. It allowed children who were brought across the border illegally by their parents to stay in America. Imagine you've done everything right your entire life, only to suddenly face the threat of deportation to a country that you know nothing about. And on the other hand, Obama deported 2 million illegal immigrants, more people than every 20th century president combined. And it worked. The number of illegal immigrants crossing the Mexican border dropped significantly. But these policies weren't hardline enough for Stephen Miller. He worked with writer Ann Coulter on a new conspiracy theory which she laid out in a book. The latest book is Adios America, the left's plan to turn our country into a third world hellhole. In her book, Coulter says that the government is lying about the number of illegal immigrants in the country. She says there aren't 11 million, there's 30 million at least. Like you say, there are actually 30 million illegals, whereas every right. other department I can find Well, they're says all using 12. the same number, though. They're going by the census figures. So if you take the census figures, it doesn't matter who looks at the census figures. They're going to give you the same number. It's been 11 million for a decade. My 30 million estimate is a very low estimate. Let's I read her book. It's nonsense. But when Donald Trump started running for president, he quoted these figures as though they were fact. The 11 million illegal immigrants or however many there may be, and honestly, we've been hearing that number for years. It's always 11 million. Our government has no idea. It could be 3 million, it could be 30 million. They have no idea what the number is. At the time, the Republican Party was trying to gain Latino voters by taking a softer approach. But from his very first speech, Trump made it clear he was going a different way. When Mexico sends its people they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Stephen Miller was very excited that a Republican finally disliked immigrants as much as he did, and he became a big Trump fan. A self-made billionaire, revolutionized reality TV, and tap into something magical that's happening in the hearts of this country. He bombarded the Trump campaign with emails asking to talk immigration until finally he got a big step up in his career. 
he left Jeff Sessions and went to work on Trump's campaign for free, helping write his ideas into the platform. Trump eventually hired Miller to become his senior policy advisor and speechwriter. As Trump's election campaign rolled on, he and Miller made two big promises to ban Muslims from travelling to the US and to build a wall on the southern border. Build that wall. Build that wall. That Mexico would pay for. Build that wall. Build that wall. And Miller wasn't just writing the speeches, he was warming up the crowds before the speeches as well. You elect Donald J. Trump, folks, and for the first time in your life, you're going to have a secure border. Behind every big headline moment on immigration, there was Stephen Miller. Brick by brick, that wall is going to get built. Trump's rhetoric on hardline immigration worked. He was elected president in 2016, and Miller was retained as his go-to policy guy and speechwriter. He even wrote Trump's inaugural address. Mothers and children trapped in poverty in our inner cities, rusted out factories, scattered like tombstones across the landscape of our nation. Instead of an inspirational tone, Miller described a country that had turned into a hillscape. And the crime and the gangs and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Former President George W. Bush, seated behind Trump, turned to people near him and described what he was hearing as some weird shit. A week later, Miller, who has no legal training, wrote an executive order for the president to sign which would go some of the way to fulfilling Trump's promise to ban Muslims from coming into America. I'm establishing new vetting measures to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of the United States of America. We don't want them here. The order, banning people from seven Muslim-majority countries from coming to America, caused a weekend of chaos at American airports and was so poorly written that within two days it was blocked by a federal judge. Stephen Miller was furious. The end result of this, though, is that our opponents, the media, and the whole world will soon see, as we begin to take further actions, that the powers of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. After several more redrafts, they were able to come up with a version of the order that was actually um, legal. To this day, immigrants are banned from entering the US from the majority Muslim countries of Iran, Libya, Syria, Yemen and Somalia, plus Venezuela and North Korea. While that legal fight continued, Donald Trump was working on the second plank of his immigration policy, building the wall. But immediately he faced roadblocks. Mexico made it as clear as possible that they would not be paying for it. We're not paying for that fucking wall. With the former president, Vicente Fox, doing as many interviews as possible... I'm not going to pay for that fucking wall. ...to deliver a clear message. We Mexicans are not going to pay for that fucking wall. He did this over and over again on live television, scaring the hell out of quite a few TV hosts. 
I apologize to our morning audience for the salty language this morning. Perhaps I should have taken that offer for the five-second delay. He was getting his point across quite clearly. Trump abandoned the idea of Mexico paying for the wall because obviously that was never going to happen. Instead, he said he wanted money from American taxpayers to build it. Trump invited Republican and Democratic senators up to the White House for a cheeseburger to talk it through. It was a tough ask. He needed the backing of every Republican and nine Democrats to get his border wall funding. But they managed to hammer out a deal. Trump had been threatening to overturn Obama's DACA program designed to protect child migrants. The US Congress said in exchange for Trump not doing that, they would fund his wall. Senator Dick Durbin went to represent the Democrats. Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republicans. They were optimistic that Trump would take it. Senator Durbin told reporters afterwards what happened. As Senator Graham made his presentation, the president interrupted him several times with questions and in the course of his comments uh, said things which were hate-filled, vile and racist. When the conversation turned to accepting migrants from war-torn nations, Trump called those countries shitholes. Heartbreaking remarks saying, those shitholes send us the people that they don't want. He repeated that. He didn't just say it one time. It turns out Trump had been talking with Stephen Miller right before the meeting. And this is what torpedoed the deal. Miller didn't want to protect DACA, so he whipped the president up into a frenzy. Senator Graham laid the blame for the failure at Miller's feet. As long as Stephen Miller is in charge of negotiating immigration, we're going nowhere. In response, Trump shut the government down. This is the biggest negotiating lever the president has, and he pulled it. He stopped funding the salaries of 600,000 government employees. He shut down museums, monuments, national parks, and whole government departments. It lasted three days before Trump gave in. He failed to get his border wall funding. His anti-immigration supporters became frustrated. I hope Trump notices that if he doesn't keep his promises, Republicans will be wiped out in the midterm elections, Democrats will have the House of Representatives, and they absolutely will impeach him. Trump tried a number of other ways to secure money for the wall, but progress has been very slow. At the current rate of construction, it will take decades to finish. So in absence of a wall, Trump turned to a more theoretical method of stopping people from coming across the border, deterrence, a mental wall rather than a physical one. The idea is that you make it so unpleasant for those huddled masses yearning to breathe free to enter America that people will stop doing it. This is essentially Australia's policy to try and prevent people from coming into the country by boat. Trump has on multiple occasions talked about his admiration for Australia's offshore detention system. But in 2018, his administration came up with an even harsher policy. I have put in place a zero-tolerance policy for illegal entry on our southwest border. If you cross the border unlawfully, then we will prosecute you. It's that simple. Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced anyone who was caught crossing the border was getting arrested. Entering the United States without presenting proper documentation is illegal. Hundreds of thousands of people are caught doing it every year. 
But generally, people are put in immigration detention centres with any children they have with them or allowed into the community to await a date in immigration court to determine if they are genuine asylum seekers. If they're deemed not to be genuine refugees, they're sent back into Mexico. Some, who are caught repeatedly trying to enter or have criminal records, are arrested by border guards and sent to jail. And Sessions said this would now apply to anyone who was caught at all. And this has a significant consequence. If you're arrested for any crime, you can't take your children with you to jail. And so... If you are smuggling a child, then we will prosecute you. And that child may be separated from you as required by law. That child, meaning your child, may be separated from you even for people who are claiming that they're seeking asylum. Your child will be taken away while the US assesses whether you're a genuine asylum seeker. The administration's plan was that this cruel policy would deter people from attempting to cross the border. A big name of the game is deterrence. If, if and so family separation stands as a pretty tough could, deterrent. Could be a tough deterrent. That's the White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly. Even though people say that's cruel and heartless to take a mother away from her children. Yeah, I think uh, cruel and heartless, uh, I wouldn't put it quite that way. The children will be taken care of. Yeah. Um, they'll put into foster care or whatever. But the big point is they elected to come. The big point you should take out of that is foster care or whatever. In fact, they had no idea what they were going to do with the children. NBC News reports that Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen told a cabinet meeting that they shouldn't do it because they weren't prepared. Nielsen said there are simply not enough resources ready to do this across the agencies and it would result in separation and possibly losing children in this incredibly chaotic and clogged system. Stephen Miller reportedly told the cabinet meeting it didn't matter. Miller said that anyone who doesn't enforce this law is un-American. Miller despite being told the government wasn't ready to implement this policy, demanded the cabinet vote on it. Hands were raised. The policy was approved. The Homeland Security Secretary started frantically converting abandoned buildings into detention centres for children. Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley demanded access to a facility so he could check on how the children were being treated. Oh, yes. Can I go in with you, please? Mm, no, sir. You cannot go in with me. Oh. You cannot be here. It's private property. property and let me, let me introduce myself. I'm Senator Jeff Merkley from Congress. And I, my team contacted this facility and asked for permission for me to come and see what is going on inside uh, with these children. They yes, called yes, the cops on him. What was your name again? I'm sorry, Senator? Senator Jeff Merkley. And you said you, you were Senator? I'm a US Senator. By yes. mid-June 2018, two months after the order had been approved, thousands of children had been separated from their families and put in detention facilities. It wasn't until reports came out from inside the facilities that people really started to pay attention. We went through another door and what we saw there were children. They appeared to be anywhere between 10 and 15 years of age. Opposition was building. All living former First Ladies united to send a message calling it cruel. Church leaders spoke out against it. Jeff Sessions maintained everything was fine and that the church leaders should realise that what they were doing was right. I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 
uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen had privately argued against the zero tolerance program, saying she needed more time to get ready to enforce it. But on the 18th of June 2018, two months into the program, she was forced to face the White House press briefing room to defend the policy. Well, good afternoon. Uh, it is my pleasure to be here. At the I very moment she was stepping up to speak, help, uh, the investigative journalism project ProPublica published an audio recording which had been leaked from a border officer from inside a detention facility. One of the journalists raised her phone in the packed briefing room and started playing it. The audio is of 10 Central American children who had been separated from their family, screaming for their parents. A six-year-old girl rattles off a phone number for her American aunt she had memorised and begged to be allowed to call it. As the audio played in the briefing room, Nielsen said it and photos of children being held in cages reflected the political biases of the people who posted them online. I think that they reflect the focus of those who post such pictures and narratives. Following day, the Associated Press published a report about how the administration was treating babies that brought MSNBC primetime host Rachel Maddow to tears on air. Trump administration officials have been sending babies and other young children... Three tender-age shelters in South Texas. Tender-age shelters to house children under the age of five. I think I'm going to have to hand this off. Yeah. Sorry. That doesn't resonate. We'll see you again tomorrow. No, Pressure was building on Trump. Conservative pundits like Ann Coulter were worried he would buckle. She hijacked a segment on Fox News to speak directly to the president. These child actors weeping and crying on all the other networks 24-7 right now. Um, do not fall for it, Mr. President. These kids are being I'm coached. so sorry, we have to go. They're given scripts to read by liberals. We're, okay. The first lady, Melania Trump, bought that argument completely. A lot of like moms and kids, they they are teached how to do it. They they go over and they say like, oh, we will be killed by gang member. It's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. So they they allowed to stay here. The following day, Trump tried to hold firm, justifying his policy during a speech. And when you prosecute the parents for coming in illegally, which should happen, you have to take the children away. Now, we don't have to prosecute them, but then we're not prosecuting them for coming in illegally. That's not good. But the pressure was immense. Even his daughter Ivanka and son-in-law Jared were openly calling for Trump to change his mind. Two days later, he signed an executive order reversing the policy. The following day, the First Lady Melania Trump flew to visit a child detention centre in Texas. She wasn't happy about it, though. And I said that I'm working on Christmas, uh, planning for the Christmas. And they said, oh, what about the children? That They were separated. Give me a break. She flew to the detention centre wearing a jacket which read in clear letters on the back, I really don't care, do you? It's obvious I didn't wear the jacket for the children. And it was for the people and for the left-wing media who are criticising me and I want to show them that I don't care. The child separation crisis revealed something about Trump. 
There is a limit to the criticism he is willing to bear. He cracked. In the two years since the child separation policy ended, Trump has been all talk and no action. He keeps promising to build the wall. He tried shutting the government down again. He said that he was dealing with the problem. He wasn't. In fact, he made it worse. In 2019, there were more illegal border crossings than in any year of the Obama administration. And his zero-tolerance policy, ripping children from their parents, left him with a horrific problem. Though the policy had ended, many of the children still can't find their parents. They're stuck in limbo, lost in the system. And after eight years of no children dying in US Border Patrol custody, six died in a year. Carlos Hernandez Vasquez, 16 years old. Juan de Leon Gutierrez, just 16 years old. Darlene Cristobal Cardova Vauye, age 10. Jacqueline Cal Maquin, just seven years old. Felipe Gomez Alonso, just eight years old. Wilmer Josea Ramirez Vasquez, two years old. Almost everyone involved in crafting the zero tolerance policy is gone. Jeff Sessions was fired. Kirsten Nielsen resigned. Stephen Miller is still there, though he's lost the support of his old friend, Anne Coulter. He's the one blocking a lot of the things in the Trump administration, like hiring anyone who knows how to get it done. I mean, he's also the last man standing. He's arranged to be the last man standing. When Trump accepted the Republican nomination to run for a second term, you can hear Miller's voice in the warning of an apocalyptic hellscape if Trump loses office. Joe Biden is not a savior of America's soul. He is the destroyer of America's jobs. And if given the chance, he will be the destroyer of American greatness. Trump promised to make America proud again. But on his signature policy, border control, he not only failed to achieve what he set out to do, his attempts horrified the world at what America had become. America, If You're Listening is written by me, Matt Bevan. It's produced by Yasmin Parry and Will Ockenden. Next. For years, journalists have been hunting for Donald Trump's tax returns. And last month, the New York Times finally got them. Donald Trump's tax returns have finally been revealed in a bombshell report by the New York Times. And beyond the big headline that the president pays no tax, the tax returns have brought to light the dreadful financial position Trump was in when he was elected. This president appears to have over $400 million in debt, 420, whatever it is, million dollars in debt. To whom? So a guy with huge debts becomes the most powerful man in the world. What would he do to try and turn his financial situation around? He said, the president wants me to do this. Who should I talk to? How should I go about doing it? I said, um, you can't, you shouldn't do it. This is unethical, probably illegal. That story is next on America If You're Listening. <laughs>